Hey, what's happening? This is your host Tinto, and before we get started on this weekend's episode, I'd like to give a shout out to him being Nandu, my sister from another mother. Uh, thank you for your generous contribution and your commentary reads. First of all, it's been a while since I've been able to listen to the Phoenix Station. My commute got a lot shorter because I moved locations and got a promotion. <laughs> Winky face, congratulations. I'm enjoying catching up now and to say I'm proud of you is an understatement. Keep up the good work, homie. Oh man, thank you so much, Himbi. If you'd like to support the podcast in a similar way, please head over to www.buymeacoffee.com forward slash feeling station and give as your spirit leads. Remember, there is nothing too small to support the podcast that you have grown to love. This weekend's episode comes with a disclaimer as it contains themes relating to suicide. If these are potentially triggering for you, please skip to the next episode. Hello. Hey, what's happening? There we go. Second time lucky. I can hear you. A slight technical glitch on that end. Welcome to the Feeding Station. Thank you. Thank you. For those listening to this podcast for the first time, it's a romantic family and friendship breakup podcast showcasing stories that people would like to talk about with a view to give lessons from their experiences. I hope you find today's story entertaining, but more importantly, meaningful. Now, the podcast is popular for two main reasons. The first being I do my best to keep my guests anonymous. Which brings me to the fun part. Are you ready, my friend? I am. Right. So the name that I'm giving you is from uh, East Africa. Um, so, Ooh, yeah, okay. uh, Somalia to be specific. And the name yep. is Nala, which is N-A-A-L-A. Yep. Yeah, Nala. And what Nala means is us. Okay. Yeah, which is a bit uh, ir- uh, you know, ironic because we're talking about a situation where potentially there's no us within the yeah. equation but uh, this is really yeah. just about us that's what nala means nala means us i love i love the way the name rolls off the tongue it is it is a pretty name yeah and then uh what are you calling the person or people you're talking about today so today is unfortunately not a romantic love story uh-huh. it's a familial love story mm-hmm. um so i'm just going to refer to them as mom dad Ooh. You know, that sort of thing. Yeah, okay. So 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 just family as they are, mom, dad, auntie, uncle, cousin, whatever. Yeah. Yeah, okay. Awesome. And uh, the second reason why the podcast is popular is there are real life lessons that people are going to learn from the story you're going to share. So, what lessons do you have for us? Okay, so I I thought really hard about this. Mm-hmm. Um and because my story is a bit different, uh, it was a bit interesting, but anyway, I came up with three mm-hmm. the first one being all behavior makes sense in context mm-hmm. um the second one what you don't address you won't overcome amen to that and the last one is almost like a hyphenated lesson but mm-hmm. uh, it'll make sense when i say it yeah. so the lesson itself is two truths can be true at the same time Mm. Um, so more specifically, like, you know, your parents can be good people and intend to do great things, but still cause harm, which sort of goes in line with the statement that a good intention with a bad approach equals a poor result anyway. Yeah. Kind of, kind of makes me feel like the Zim situation, you know, the intention was <laughs> yeah, for people yeah. to have land, which would be good for them because it's good to own land and it's good to reap the benefits of having land, whether that is through agriculture or mining or property, whatever it is. But the execution of that by the late President Robert Mugabe was just off. 
Exactly. So I think that ties in exactly what you're saying. So did you say two truths can be true at the same time or can't be true at the same yeah, time? Yeah, can yeah. be true at the same time. Ah, awesome. Those are deep lessons, you know. I'll just play them back. First one, all behavior makes sense in context. Lesson number two, what you don't address, you won't overcome. And lesson number three, two truths can be true at the same time. Yeah. Right. So let's get straight into it, Nala. Um, Mum, dad, what's your, no, what was your relationship like growing up, etc.? Just walk me through all of that up until you get to the point where things started going south. Okay, so before I jump into it, I mm-hmm. do want to say, because I know our audience and I know our culture, um, and for those that aren't from Southern Africa, they might be like, what culture? But, you know, I know our culture. Yeah. I'll, I'll leave it at that without trying to identify myself. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm going to preface, preface this by saying I'm sharing my story not with the intention to like disparage my parents or to disrespect them, but just hopefully encourage like a healthy dialogue um, in our communities, like with people our generation to talk about trauma family dynamics mm-hmm. so we can do better or do differently, I should say. I know people get a bit funny with the word better. Mm-hmm. So let's go to mum and dad. So I'm going to give you a bit of a family tree. Um, as I sort of talk about mum and dad and then talk about where things sort of went left for me. Mm-hmm. Okay, so I'm the eldest um, between my parents and I'm the second eldest but, um, with, for my father's children. Okay. So dad had a child before he met mum or whilst he was with mum. But anyway, he had a child before me and I'm, I guess, what they call an oopsie baby or a bastard um, because, you know, my parents weren't quite ready to have me. They were young, but not too young. Um, and it was the typical girl meets bad boy, falls in love story. And then, you know, boy was probably punching above his weight. They fall pregnant and have to get married. Right. And this is where the fun begins, I guess. So I come into the world um, and born, obviously, under some interesting circumstances because they had to get married. Mm-hmm. And... They had a relationship, don't get me wrong, but I don't think that that relationship would have progressed to a marriage if they hadn't fallen pregnant with me. Right. Um, that's, a, that's a lot of context. Yeah, mm. yeah. Um, I say this because I know, I know now um, that mom at the time was planning to break up with dad and had already started looking at uni overseas and she had all these different plans um, for herself and then she discovered she was pregnant. Mm. So, you know that lesson I said, all behavior makes sense in context? Yeah. Knowing that now, I think a lot of her behavior makes sense to me. Right. Yeah, how did you find that out? It's a combination of like a lot of different things. So, obviously, over the years, there have just been comments that have been made either by mom or by like family members. Um, And they've just made me question. And my dad and I have an interesting relationship. So on the surface, it looks like we're very close and we talk about everything. But I think if you go deeper a little bit, you sort of see there's probably some lax boundaries there um, Mm -hmm. in that he's sort of shared some things that I don't know if you would typically share that with your child. Like what? Like, for example, he gave me the context around my nickname. Now, obviously, I can't share my nickname yeah, yeah. on the podcast today. Yeah. But um, 
he said, we use that nickname because you're literally born unexpected and in the middle of life, if that makes sense. Okay. Yeah. 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 So yeah, I've always known, I've always known, um, mom wasn't quite ready to have me. She had me anyway. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't know if they encouraged or if they even spoke about options back in the day. Mm -hmm. Um, nonetheless, I'm glad she decided to keep me. Just saying. Um, so anyway, I was born and two weeks later, mom decides to go back to uni because she was second year at the time. Yeah. And that meant I was going to stay with my maternal grandparents. So that part of it is very important because I suppose it gives a little bit of insight um, into our relationship. So, you know, eventually she finishes uni, she comes back home and starts to live with her husband, dad. Mm-hmm. And I mean, she'd visit during the semester breaks and all that sort of thing. But now she was in the house full time with me, with dad. And let's just say the husband was not playing ball. He was doing what he wanted to do. Um, and yeah, yeah, it was an interesting time for mum. And anyway, that just sort of led to a very interesting household. So I think my earliest memory of my mother would be when I was about five years old. So we're talking kinder or creche as they called it. Mm -hmm. Um, And she came to my graduation and I remember I was so excited to see her because she hadn't come with me. I'd been taken by like a bus. She'd come to the graduation midway because she had work. And I saw her and I ran, you know, like kids, normal kids just run up to their parents. They're excited. I wanted to show off a little bit, you know, here's my mom as a normal child would do. And I remember getting scolded for that. She was like, what are you doing? Why are you acting like an uncivilized person? Um, And she was quite standoffish. And that would, I suppose, set the tone for the rest of our relationship. I would describe her as cold standoffish and it's almost as if our relationship is more instructive um something you would have with like a drill commander and a cadet Mm -hmm. versus a mother and a child and I know for a lot of people that can be a bit confusing because obviously our culture does talk a lot about discipline but I'm talking I never got hugs and I don't you know this Sounds almost like a Western problem. I never got hugs. I never got I love yous. I never got um, how was your day? What's your favorite color? What are you into? Who are your friends? It was, did you do your bed? Um, Have you done your homework right? I bet you haven't done this. I bet you haven't done that. Mm. Um, And that was just, that was my experience. So keep in mind that your relationship with your parent is the first relationship really that you have. And it sets the tone for all the other relationships that you have. Mm. And so things are just very interesting. So anyway, I go into primary school um, and I was described as a bubbly child. I was talkative. I think my report always read, great student, but could talk less. Oh, (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah. And I remember in grade two, one mm. of their strategies was um, to pair me up with the quietest girl in class. Wow. 
I would say her name, but then I feel like yeah, if she yeah, listened yeah. to this, then she would know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but just, you know, I'm thinking of you, girl. But anyway, they paired me with the quietest girl. And by the end of the term, we were both talking. Mm. That's how talkative I was. That is crazy. Talk uh, about the power of influence. <laughs> <huh? laughs> so they thought they were doing something. Yeah, they really yeah, weren't. Yeah. Anyway, um, so around grade two, and I was, you know, I was a bubbly kid. And I just remember being described as someone who really was into the arts. So I did um, poetry. Mm-hmm. I would go perform on stage and, you know, recite poetry for allied arts. And, you know, you'd have adjudicators coming in from overseas and you get scored and that sort of thing. And that was my thing. Mm-hmm. I was into drama. I was into acting. That was my personality. Unfortunately, that personality was a direct contradiction to what my mother thought a child needs to be. Mm-hmm. So at every opportunity, I would be reminded that it was useless, that, you know, I didn't know how to act right. And I'd say by the time I was about grade four, I had no self-esteem. And I didn't know at the time that that was not having self-esteem. I just remember feeling like, oh my goodness, I must not be a good person because the one person that is meant to love you, the one person that brought you into the world does not and thinks that you're are not this great person. And I would shapeshift. I would shapeshift my personality. So if I would read the room, she'd walk into the room and I'd sort of try and read her. Is she in a good mood? Can I make a joke? Can I not make a joke? Do I need to say, oh, you know, I've done my bed um, as a way to try and buy her approval. Yeah. And I, I find myself doing it even now. Like the first thing that I will say to my mom is, oh, I've done this. So she can be like, oh yeah, I'm proud of you. Well, she won't say I'm proud of you, but she'll be like, oh yeah, good job. Um, and and that was just, that's what I did. I would try and figure out, okay, what is going to get me love or approval from this person? Mm-hmm. And it just, I, I, I lost all sense of myself. And I started to retreat inward. And that is when the first time I actually thought about ending my life. Now, a lot of people um, would think that suicide and mental health and that sort of thing are problems for children in the Western world. But I'm talking a little girl living in Africa who didn't have a lot of Western influence at the time. Like, sure, there was television, but I knew that I felt so sad and empty within myself that I wanted to end it. And I realized that there was no point to me being alive because, well, what's the point? If your own mother can love you, then who will love you? Mm. So anyway, to my first suicide attempt, I was grateful, which makes me, what, nine, right? Nine years old? Yeah, nine. Wow. Yeah. Um, so it started off it's a regular Saturday and I woke up, you know, if you grew up in an African household, you know, Saturdays are for cleaning. So I woke up pretty early. I saw I needed to do um, a deep clean with uh, house help. Mm. And ugh, this is actually the embarrassing bit um, where I get to share that at nine, I was still wetting the bed. But obviously after years of therapy mm-hmm. and talking about what was going on for me, things like that can be quite common in children that have anxiety, that have some issues going on for them. Mm-hmm. 
it could be stress induced. Um, but anyway, so I'd wet the bed and, and mum walks in and she was fuming. What kind of girl still wets the bed at your age? Look at you. Who do you think's going to love you? And so I just burst into tears and she's like, why are you crying? What about that is making you cry? You need to stop crying or else I'll give you a reason to cry. Like, you know, who, which mom doesn't say that, right? Mm. Anyway, um, and so then I say to her, what have I ever done to you? Mm-hmm. And she says, what are you talking about? You have everything. And she wasn't wrong. I had everything in the sense that I lived a privileged life when you talk about materialistic stuff. So I went to a good school. I went to a private school. Um, I had I had someone who dropped me off to and from school. Um, I ha- I went to extracurriculum activities. I did sports. Um, I had three meals. I had my own room. I even had a computer <laughs> in my room. Yeah. Um, so by all accounts, I was living a life that other children weren't living. Mm. Um, and she's like, "What do you What do you not have?" And I just remember saying, you hate me so much and it just doesn't seem worth it. And she was like, well, you know, if you hated that much, why don't you just end your life? Mm. I'm sure her intention in that moment was not to encourage me to end my life, but was more like a reactive response. Mm. So going back again to a good intention with a bad approach, leads to a poor result anyway i totally um, get it now i get that yeah <laughs> no i totally get yeah, it yeah yeah so I'm, I'm sure you know we're yet to have that particular conversation but should say that was never my intention but anyway she walks out i play over what she said to me that morning i go about i i clean my room and then i go i go outside and i just chill and then I'm sitting there and I'm stewing over and I'm stewing over and I'm stewing over. And because I've turned inwardly at this point, I'm no longer that talkative, you know, talkative child. I'm now just in my head. I'm in my head a lot. And then I say to myself, you know what? She's right. I should just send it because what is the point? So I go into her cupboard and I get these green panadols. Now, Tinto, you're from where I'm from. So you know what the old panadols used to look of like. Of course, yeah. The, the, right? Yeah, they were green um, in a white the, packet. They were green, yeah, in a white packet. Mm. And I took all of them. Um, did it kill me? Well, obviously not if we're having this conversation. But boy, did my stomach hurt. So anyway, I start complaining that my stomach's hurting. I'm vomiting. The household's like, what's going on? We're going to call your mom. We're going to call your dad. And dad comes first and he's like, we're going to go to the hospital. So he takes me to the hospital and they ask me, what's up? And I say, I don't know. And they're like, okay, so we're going to give you Panadol. <laughs> the minute oh they said that. Oh my gosh, yeah. <laughs> I could have I, I yeah, hurled. Yeah, yeah, I was yeah, like, yeah. Ugh, no, you can't give me Panadol. And they're like, what's wrong? And I'm like, I don't want Panadol. I don't like Panadol. And my dad's like, what's the issue? Take the Panadol. I can't tell my dad what I've done. I can't tell these doctors what I've done. Um, so I'm just adamantly going, I can't take the panel. I don't want to take the panel door. My stomach hurts so much. And I don't know um, if it was just an intuitive nurse who then said, no, how about we try some milk? Mm. So I had milk. I stayed overnight. 
I vaguely remember what conversations were had that period, but I know that I didn't go to school for the next few days. And mom came to the hospital and the first thing she said is, did you do all of this to get out of school? Mm. Um, and I was like, no. She's like, oh, what is with this attention-seeking behavior? And I'm like, okay, cool, cool, cool. Um, anyway, as we're going home, the nurse gives me a number to, um, I think they used to call it child line. I can't, there was a term for it. There was anyway, a helpline basically. And that was the first time I learned about, um, kids being able to call like a support line to talk about stuff. And that's what I did. I, I called and it was interesting because the advice that I got at the time, I wouldn't have predicted that I would get advice like that in an African country. Mm-hmm. But anyway, it was, you know, it was validating. Mm. But that's what started my very interesting journey with suicide ideation and mental health. And, you know, that journey continued. Um, let's fast forward to probably grade six. Yeah. My parents' marriage yeah, which takes a... Which means you're about 12 at this point. I'm about 12. Mm. My parents' marriage takes a really ugly turn. I mean, their marriage had been breaking for years. It's just at that point, it's heated. Um, And mom wants out. Dad's like, yeah, whatever. But family pride and that sort of thing, I won't end it. Um, So if you want to end it, you leave, you take the... It was just, it was messy. And I was caught in the middle because... I, again, being a kid who's introverted at that point and being cautiously aware of everyone's mood and trying to shape shift into being whatever the, the person needs, I tended to be the comfort for my dad and the punching bag for my mom. Mm. So I was, I was aware of a lot of adult conversations that I probably shouldn't have been. Yeah. Keeping in mind, nothing about my life had changed. I still went to the good school. I still had on the surface a seemingly stable life. Mm. And that also created a bit of guilt for me because I would think about all the kids I'd hear about that would go to bed with no dinners, that would, you know, be rape victims or um, that were orphans. And I'd be like, my life is nowhere near that bad. But I still did not have a great life. And I still was experiencing so much distress in what seemed to be a good enough life. Yeah. Anyway, grade six, they decide they're going to separate. It turns ugly because then dad's like, I want full custody. Um, And mom's like, absolutely not. And it's just this back and forth. Anyway, he got granted full custody. Not because my mom was an inadequate mother. Um, by all accounts, she was a qualified woman with a really good job and had a house and all that sort of thing. But it just came down to, I guess, you know, patriarchal system. We're dad's kids. We've got dad's last name and we went with dad. Mm. And I thought, well, you know, well, how bad can it be? I mean, it's dad. Dad and I have a seemingly better relationship anyway. Mm. But so we were being carted. So Monday to Friday, we were at dad's Friday after school to um, Monday at drop off at school with mum. Mm. We did that little dance and song for a little bit. And then comes, I guess, my second suicide attempt. So we're at mum's. It's a Friday. And she says to me, what are you doing about your body? Your body? Yeah. 
Um, and I was like, I don't know. So she used to get very upset at um, the way my body looked. Now, I was probably a little bit more developed for a 12-year-old than she would have liked. And to her, me having the body structure that I had equated to me speaking to boys and falling pregnant. Right. It was just really, it was a straight line for her. It wasn't a, oh, hang on, actually, you'd have to be able to talk to guys, engage in um, sexual activity, then fall pregnant. No, no, no. It was, you have this body, so it means you're talking to boys, and talking to boys, you're going to be pregnant. Mud. Um, and she was, it, honestly, I can actually hear her voice now <laughs> as she says it, um, which is crazy. But, and she would say, what are you doing with your body? And she would say it in, in, in her mother tongue and she'd be like, oh, you know, that body of yours is giving you confidence. I bet you're talking to boys. Very soon you're going to show up at my doorstep pregnant just so you know you'll never have a good life. Um, and then she would talk about her story about how, what would her life turned out to if she hadn't committed to going back to uni and her life was almost ruined. So every time I'd get that lecture, I'd get the sense that there's a bit of resentment there. So I just want to get this right. According to your mum, your body mm -hmm. was starting to develop into a woman through puberty. Yeah. Because yep. you were talking to boys. So boys had some something that would activate the curve. No, Bo boys no not, quite. Have, not quite. Not uh, <clears> quite. <throat> I think or, she just thought because I had this body. Yeah, I think she okay. thought because I have this body, now I must be attracting the attention from boys oh, okay, and okay, okay. being receptive of that attention, which would equate to me then falling pregnant. Interestingly enough, I'm trying to figure out what what she meant when she said, what are you going to do about your body? I mean, what, what yeah. can you do about your body? Because it's biology. Exactly. Exactly. And I didn't, like, you know, genetics. It, my arms were built that way. Mm. Um, some people from her family <laughs> were built that way. So I couldn't control that I had developed into this adolescent body at 12. Mm. And so anyway, um, we're at her house. And she, she's carrying on about this and then she leaves, she goes downstairs because at the time she was living at an apartment, she'd moved out of the family home. Mm -hmm. So she leaves, she goes to hang laundry downstairs and I'm there with my younger sibling and I just go, I can't do this. I can't, I can't be what she needs because it doesn't matter what I say. It's not good enough. It doesn't matter what I do. And now this body, what am I going to do with this body? I don't, I don't like this body. And um, I decide I'm going to take some more Panadol. Ooh. At this point, she's not hiding Panadol because she doesn't know what's happening to the Panadol. Mm. So anyway, I take more Panadol. Um, I start, I'm now sick on the bed. And my sister's like, what's going on with you? And she's too little for me to explain and she doesn't, she doesn't know that I've taken Panadol. I just tell her that I'm not feeling well. Mom comes up. She goes, oh, you're being lazy. Can you do it? If you think you're going to get out of doing housework, that's not what's going to happen here, Missy. And I say to her, can I please go back to dad's? Mm. And she's like, fine, whatever, go. I go back to dad. Dad had his usual remedy. He's like, have plain rice or rice with milk. You'll feel better. And I'm still vomiting. So come about midnight, he's like, no, we're going back to the hospital um, something's not right. And then they think I have, um, a burst appendicitis mm. and it's not that. <laughs> and, and then like, Oh, maybe constipation, maybe she's impacted. Definitely wasn't that. 
Um, and so they're asking me all these questions and I'm just like, no, nah, I don't know. I don't know. Um, they were like, okay, we'll do antibiotics. I remember being on penicillin for absolutely no reason whatsoever. And yeah, and I just, I guess I weathered that, that attempt again. Mm. And I clearly wasn't taking enough to do actual serious harm, just enough to, you know, give me a really bad stomach ache mm. and potentially cleanse my stomach. Mm. But, you know, years later, I have a really bad um, digestive system because of that. Anyway. So I come back home. I don't tell dad, but I think my dad starts to clue on that maybe something's not right. Mm. So he says to me, do you want to go for a drive? And I'm like, yeah, sure, whatever. We go for a drive and he's just having like this really random conversation with me. He's like, oh, you know, you can talk to me. I'm your dad. I love you. Rah, rah, rah. And all of this sounds great, right? Mm. On the surface, it's, it's fantastic. It's what a 12-year-old needs to hear. And so I'm crying and I'm telling him, I'm just telling him that, oh, mom doesn't love me, rah, 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 rah. And he's like, no, you just, you know, your mom's under a lot of pressure. He would never really um, try and talk bad about her. But despite doing all of that, there were other aspects of his parenting that were pretty questionable. Such as? So, well, like, for example, I was 12. My dad was dating a 19-year-old. And yeah, and he'd bring her over and he introduced us so we could be, I don't know if we could be mates or if we could be siblings. It it was confusing. Wow. Um, Yeah. And I met so many aunties, (laughs) aunties in the time that I lived with dad. Um, Mm. So anyway, so that was that. That was my second attempt. And mum goes overseas, so I have to stay with dad. And then I'm already going to boarding school anyway because I'm starting high school. Mm. So I go to high school. It's my first year in high school, and I go to a boarding school. Against my wishes, by the way. But I was told I could only go to this boarding school because if I stayed in the city, like all my other friends, like everyone else I knew, um, I would end up pregnant. Again, there was this like really strong fixation on me being pregnant. And and, and, and this is coming from, and this is it, this is your, purely your mom's comments, right? Yes. Your, your dad yes. isn't saying anything about you falling pregnant. No, no. I, I don't think, like, I don't think dad even thought about it like that. Because mm. if he did, I almost think that he wouldn't have bought me the novels that you used to buy me. There were great parts about dad's parenting and there were some interesting choices. Like he would buy me Mills and Boons when I was in grade seven. Hey. Um, we watched American Pie together. Mm. <laughs> so there were some interesting choices. Yeah. Um, but at the time, I think as a child, I just thought I have a cool dad and he's definitely not like mum. Mm. And that was enough for me. Mm. So anyway, we... Um, Oh, I really need to get into the story because I'm looking at the time. So anyway, I, I go to high school. Um, first year of high school, things get interesting because I, I go to a co-ed high school and boys are there. Mm-hmm. Now I'd gone, I'd been to primary school, so I'd obviously been going to school with boys, but it wasn't, it was a bit different. Like puberty had fully, fully hit now and I was starting to get some attention from boys. Remember that body that my mom used to complain about? Yeah. Yeah, it turns out she had a reason to complain mm. because that body did get me into a bit of trouble. 
in mm-hmm. terms of getting attention from boys. I got attention from boys in my stream, older boys at the school, and it was just chaotic. Yeah. And I didn't know what to do with all of this attention. Okay. So the first time I heard someone say something really kind to me was a boy. Um, and that can, that, that can be a bit confusing for a kid, um, especially a kid who's never received any validation from a parent because your parent figure is meant to be the one that tells you all of these things so that when the world starts to say it, it doesn't seem like it's true. Like you just, yeah, I know. Mm. I know I'm valuable. I know I'm pretty. I know I'm intelligent because mom and dad have been, you know, feeding this into me since I was a child. Mm. But no, this was literally having someone say, I like the way you think. I, I think you're pretty. I think you're intelligent. And all of those things meant so much to me. And mm. it probably meant that I was looking, I suppose the age old saying, looking for love in the wrong places. Yeah. So anyway, because things got a bit messy um, in that I was speaking to a lot of boys and then, you know, I was the the um, first form who had senior boys talking to her and that was getting me in, into a bit of trouble with the older girls. And then I was getting into trouble with teachers because they were saying all sorts of things mm-hmm. about my character and my personality. And it just got a bit too much for me. Yeah. So I thought, I can't do this. I can't lose this reputation. And there was this one particular day I was in a maths class. I remember this so vividly. I was in a maths class and I passed a note to another girl in my class. And I'm basically telling her about a guy I have a crush on mm-hmm. who was in the fourth form and that he had told me um, after dining like the night before that he thought I was really smart and I just didn't know what to do about it. And I'm passing this note in the maths class and the maths teacher realizes that I've done that and says, stand up and I want you to read the note in front of everyone in the classroom. So, okay. I'm like, okay, drag. So I stand up, I read the note and the whole class just laughs, right? And they were like, okay, you're going straight to the principal's office. You're in trouble. Um, I get sent to the principal's office. Now the principal was the husband to my mother's best friend. Yeah. And he says, you're like a daughter to me. So one, I'm going to beat you up. Two, I'm going to call your mom. Um, and you're in a lot of trouble. And he's like, okay. So anyway, he slaps me a couple of times. That was my punishment. And he's like, I'm going to call your mom when you leave. And she's going to be here um, over the weekend to talk about this. Mm. So I'm freaking out as I'm going to the door, back to the dorm room going, if my mother gets... He could have said, I'm calling your dad. And I would have been like, okay, cool. I can, I can explain to that. I can, I can try and talk my way out of that. But I knew like with my mom, absolutely not. Yeah. It would just, I couldn't think of anything worse. So what do I do when I get to the dorm? I'm like, I can't do this. My mom can't be called. So I drank two liters of bleach. What? Yeah. How many liters of bleach? Two. Um, that was an interesting night. One of my friends from high school, and I, sh- I really hope she's not listening to this podcast because then she's going to know, um, found me. And she instantly called the matron and it then became this massive thing. Like, just imagine you're at a boarding school in Africa and some, and they say a girl's trying to kill themselves. Like, it's pure comical at that point. Um, anyway, 
I get taken to the local hospital and they're like, we're going to need to pump her stomach. We're going to call her parents. What's going on? Um, and at this point, everyone thought that I'd, ki- I'd try to kill myself because of that note, which is true in essence, but it wasn't really because of the note. Like I'd already lived that embarrassment. That was fine. It was the fact that I thought my mom was going to be informed and she was going to come and she was going to have to know about this. And wow. anyway, yeah. so I ended up being in hospital for like the rest of the week and the embarrassment of coming back to school, that was just ugh, unlivable. Where did you get that bleach? Oh, I took it. It was one of my boarding school supplies for laundry. Jesus. Okay. Yeah. So for years, I couldn't stand the smell of bleach. Mm. Um, it just, yeah, it would make, it would make me want to hurl. In a way, um, you were you were blessed, eh? Because you know, bleach. They they tell you to even yeah. use it with 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 gloves on because it can be that yeah. brutal to the exterior. It's corrosive, right? It's corrosive yeah. to the exterior of the body, and you had this new, and you came through. Yeah, like I said, I have a really bad digestive system yeah. um, because yeah. of all the interesting things I did in in my younger years. Oh yeah, okay. Um, but yeah, that was, that was the first year. My mom did get cold, but she wasn't told the whole story because I guess the focus of the situation was more, your daughter drank bleach. And let's just say I never really lived that story down with her. It was every single thing I did was, ah. Here, here we go again, little miss. I drink bleach when oh, I don't like what happens at school. or And my mom can really hold a grudge. I mean, you wouldn't classify this as a grudge, but, you know, I embarrassed her. Yeah. I made her um, friend, friend's husband call her. That was, that was not a good look for her. And it was, it was attention-seeking in her eyes. Mm, mm. And so, you know, every little thing is... Oh, you better watch what you say to this one because you don't want her going off and drinking bleach somewhere. Mm. But what did work in my favor after that point is my dad became a lot more sensitive towards me. Mm -hmm. Didn't improve some of his parenting choices, but he definitely became a lot more sensitive. So I think he was a lot more worried about it than she was. For her, it was just my attention-seeking daughter who, you know, I've never really completely understood. Um, and I think there's reasons to that. There's reasons for that. Like I said, you know, all behavior makes sense in context. Mm. If I think about the fact that she wasn't my primary attachment caregiver. So, you know, what bonding did we do up until two weeks? Um, and there was the resentment that I was born before she wanted to have a child and that also then led her to being married to this guy who then eventually broke her heart and that marriage didn't work out. And so there was a few different things not working in my favor. It also doesn't help that I look a lot more like my dad and have probably more of my dad's personality than my mom. Yeah. So it was just a combination of a whole lot of things. Um, And yeah, it was, it was interesting. So that was the first year of high school and then second year of high school, they moved me because obviously that scandal was big enough. Mm. I went to a different high school. Um, and I, this time I went to a girls only high school. Mm-hmm. 
things were, I suppose, a bit different um, because mum was officially moved overseas. So I wasn't seeing her anymore. And the only communication that we had was during school holidays over the phone. And she called, my mom is very structured and like clockwork. So she called on a Saturday um, in the morning at about 8 a.m. for about 10 minutes. The conversation went something like, how are your grades? Do you have all your talk? Does your sister have all her talk? all her food, uh, all the uniforms ready. I'm going to send cousin so-and-so with the money for next term stuff. Make sure that you do. Like it was just an instruction list basically. Yeah. And okay, goodbye. Mm. So there was no, what are you up to these days? What are you like at school? What are you, there was no genuine interest. And I know this might seem trivial. Well, it's interesting you say that um, it might seem trivial, but I have similar conversations with some of my other friends who all say the same thing, that they feel their parents are not really interested in the minute details of us to say, hey, how are you? How is school? How are things going? How are your friends? Are you struggling with something? So so it's not trivial. It's very, very important. No, I think, I think it's trivial because it's not necessarily, you wouldn't classify this as abuse and you wouldn't classify this. I mean, in, in some contexts you could classify this as neglect, but you don't see the impact. The impact would be me being an adult and not knowing how to have a normal relationship with the person that's not transactional. Mm. Not, you know, just being able to have a conversation with someone and taking an interest, like the impact that that had on my friendships that had on the future relationships I then went to have was quite astronomical, astronomical. Oh, sorry. My English is not Englishing at the moment. Astronomical. Astronomical. Thank you. It was just, it was crazy because I didn't know how to be in a relationship. And I'm not talking romantic love. I'm just talking about having a genuine interest in the other person and being able to be like, okay, what's your favorite color? Um, What what sort of music are you into? Because that wasn't modeled for me. Mm -hmm. And so when people sort of talk about, oh, well, you know, this is, this is culture. This is how we do things. Like I think it goes a lot deeper than that because if you're, First love is your family love. And if that models all the relationships you have in your lifespan, then you want to do the first thing right. Yeah, You want to teach your kid how to not just say to someone, do this for me or um, have you done this? You want someone to actually know how to interact with the other person. Mm. So anyway, um, second, second year of high school, third year of high school, fourth year of high school, my mom is living overseas. I think I saw her once in that whole time. She came down. It was a short visit. Um, she was down for two weeks, but I probably only saw her for a day mm. because the other week, like the other days, she had fa- other family members to see. Um, and again, there was no real, ah, oh, I want to see my, my kids, so I'm going to spend time with them. Her relationship with my younger siblings, slightly different, but for a very different reason. Mm-hmm. That was her grief baby. But, you know, that's a story for another day. Okay. Um, and then I get to the fifth year of high school and I have to move and go live with my mom. Well, why did you need to move? Well, because we were going to, I guess that was going to be, that was the long-term plan. We were migrating to live with mom. Oh, okay. Better opportunity, yeah, I guess. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. So we're living, we were leaving my um, country of origin. Mm-hmm. to go overseas to join mum, who had been overseas, I think, at that point, 
I, I want to say five or six years. Mm-hmm. Um, on, yeah. And then so I move. And when I move, this woman is a stranger to me. A stranger in the sense that I know who she is. I know who she is to me, but I don't know how she operates in this new world. She doesn't know who I am at that age. I'm 16 plus. Mm. So, you know, the little girl who used to cower and not say anything now can talk back. Mm. Now can, you know, can push back a little bit and say, actually, no, I don't like that. No, that's not okay. But anyway, move to the country that we moved to and it literally just felt like I had stepped into my past. Mm. It was like someone had transported me back to being that nine-year-old who felt inadequate, who thought life needed to end. Yeah. And that was the next time that suicide ideation came back into my life. Mm. So anyway, I'd been in the country for probably, mm, I don't know, maybe five months. And at that point, the pressure was real. So living in a, in a foreign country, she's a single parent. Life's a bit different for, for her. Like she doesn't have the same job that she had back home. She's obviously like the system's different. Mm. And I'm having to grow up and catch up very quickly. Now, kids in in the country that I live in all start to work at about 14 and nine months. Mm-hmm. So me joining her at 17, almost 17, yeah. um, meant I could work instantly. Mm-hmm. So I was told I had to get a, I had to get a part-time job. I had to help with the bills. All things that I don't necessarily think are bad. There's nothing wrong with that. It teaches you. It actually taught me a lot of responsibility. And I must say, there are a lot of good things that I can take from her parenting. Mm-hmm. It's just unfortunate that I never received any nurturing. Right. Lots of skills, lots of um, life lessons, n- no nurturing. Mm. Which is so fundamental because we're not robots, we're human beings. Yeah, true, true. So anyway, um, I start working and it just gets intense because I have to finish high school. Then I have to go to uni, but I also have to keep my part-time job. I have to be helping her paying international fees. um, And life's just hectic. And I just was crumbling, crumbling under the pressure. The culture shock of having moved, having to make new friends again, all of it coming from someone who does already have a history of mental health was just not not working out. So it was just an explosion of things happening all at once. And I thought, I can't even tell you I'm struggling because every single day is, don't you dare forget that I worked my bottom off for you guys to come here to give you a different life. I could have left you with your dad and who would you be? Mm. So her idea of motivation, unfortunately, is saying something like, do you know what I could have had in my life if I hadn't had you? Do you know where I could be in my life if I hadn't made all these all these sacrifices and sent you to school and <clears throat> and done all these things for you? That's her idea of motivation. Mm-hmm. I think the intention, I see the intention there. The approach doesn't land well. Yeah, 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 yeah. 
Um, because instead of feeling grateful, I felt bur- like a burden. Mm-hmm. I felt um, like, you know, oh my goodness, your life is so crappy because of my existence. Hence, I should just get rid of the thing that makes your your life crappy. Yeah. And then I had my um, next um, attempt. Oh, wow. And this time being in oh. the country that I'm in, mm. um, they know this stuff very mm. easily. You mm. can't dodge. You can't say like social workers were like, <laughs> quick, we they see were you. on it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They were on it and they were talking to me. And um, well, I remember one of the social workers going, you know, we could just talk to her. And I looked at it and I laughed and I was like, okay, listen, lady, listen, Linda. <laughs> Mm. This is not. This is not what <laughs> Listen, you. Linda, you've just taken me Listen, back. Listen, Linda. Jeez, man. This is not what you. This is not what you think it is. Like yeah. you're not seeing anything, and they're like, "Well, we're concerned, and we need to have a safety plan." And rah 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 rah. And I said, "Look, you either just give me the information, and I seek the help myself, mm-hmm. or I give you the wrong information about my family. Like you've got two choices because talking to my mother is not one of those options." Yeah. And then she was like, "Okay, I've got another idea." I've got a lady from my church. I think you should talk to her. Um, maybe you can be part of the youth group. It might be helpful. So, you know, she links me in with this lady. We'll call her Sue. Mm-hmm. And Sue starts coming to the house. It's like, oh, I want to take you to the youth group. They had like evening youth sessions. And my mom is just like, what kind of church meets at night? Oh. No. No, she stays home. Like I was invited to so many things and she'd be like, no. She needs to focus. She needs to remember the reason why she came into this country. Mm. And it was just a mess. We then fast forward to probably, I want to say when, oh, no, 19. Mm. 19. That's like, no, that's actually too far. Let's fast forward to probably a month after my, um, my 18th birthday. Yeah. And I find myself in a situation that is incredibly harmful. Okay. Um, are, you, are you okay describing it? I'll, I'll say it without saying it. Okay. So um, I was in a situation where I was taken advantage of. And yeah, okay. couldn't tell anyone. Mm-hmm. because and it's interesting because the first person I thought to talk to was my mom. And I said, actually, no, because she's going to say one, it's that body of yours Two, what did you do? Oh God. Um, and because all, all my years I've been hearing that I'm so into boys, like the accusations that would come from her were interesting. Like she'd say things and I'd be like, what are you, what are you going on about? Like this anxiety of yours about me falling pregnant. Yeah. And ruining my life is actually creating scenarios in your head. Yeah. So I chose not to say anything about it. Mm. And that meant I didn't get the help that I needed at the time. Mm -hmm. And that was a very interesting journey. I mean, a lot happens after, but, you know, there's light at the end of the tunnel because I'm still here. I'm still working on myself. I'm still growing and... Mm. I've obviously had some accomplishments in spite of that journey. 
You know what someone said to me just yesterday? Yeah. He says, most things are temporary apart from death. Which is true. And that resounded with me so much that I actually put a note and stuck it on my, on, on, on my office board. Because it's true. Mm-hmm. Because what you just described here is a whole heap of situations that could have made the one thing which is permanent happen. Yeah. But then, you know, God has blessed you with a resilient digestive system. I know you say that you're, you, it gives you trouble now. But that situation in the moment as you were taking Panadol twice or whatever number of times in the past was, was temporary because it was able yeah. to get flushed out. Yeah. Um, and for you to be able to come and talk about this is in addition to incredible resilience, it's confirmation of how really, really, really tough situations are temporary because what you've just described now in the last minute is a really positive version of you versus where you've come from. I think it's it's an ongoing journey. Like yeah. I think I I'm cognizant of the fact that I'm always going to struggle, right? Mm. Um, with certain aspects of my mental health. Because I don't have the building blocks. Um I'd like to think that if maybe I didn't start struggling with suicide and suicide ideation at the age of nine, that might not be my default baseline. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So I, I know that they will become there will be some moments later on down the track that might be so dark that I might go down that path again. Yeah. But I just have to I just have to pray and hope that when that time comes, yeah, I have enough of the resources that I need for it not to be fatal. That's deep, man. But it's yeah, it's look, I I, I wanna emphasize that it's not all bad, right? Mm. Um there's there's lots of different things that I got from my mom that I am grateful for. Mm-hmm. Um, like because she's so structured, she's very responsible, and I I'd like to think of myself as a responsible person. Um, she's very organized. Um, she works very hard, but these are the things that she does because she needs that control in her life. So her life is very controlled, mm. and. I guess if I just take the positive from that is I've been able to adapt some of those skills into certain situations in my life. Mm -hmm. And it's been helpful. And which then goes to my lesson. Mm -hmm. Two truths can be true at the same time. Oh yeah. 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 You know, that's one of the lessons where when I read it, I was like, Ooh, I want to see how this is going to pan out. Because usually it's a truth versus a non-truth. Yeah. Um, and how some of those could actually pan out just fine. So when you have two truths like that, in the way that you described it, yeah, that, that the penny has dropped. Now mm. that you've told the story, yeah, and I, I totally get what, um, what that looks like and why that is that way. So what's your relationship with your mom like as of today? Complicated. <laughs> yeah. It's complicated. Look, I think I have a profound respect for who she is as a woman Mm. and understanding some of her own journey. So you know how I was saying all behavior makes sense in context. Um, 
so now that I have the context around the relationship dynamics she had with my dad and yeah. obviously the unexpected pregnancy, I understand why there would have been resentment and an inability to attach to me as a child. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, but does that change the fact that our relationship's difficult? No. Does it make it fair on me? No. But it is what it is, right? Is there any hope of it getting better? Because because now you're you're more grown. You've got all this context. You've got um, an understanding of why things may have been the way they were. Does that make you feel your your heart feel softer towards her? I know you say she struggles with grudges, and that's her own problem. You shouldn't make it yours. Mm. But you, 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 you. I, I don't know. Do you feel you need to fix things with your mom? Maybe, maybe that's what I'm trying to understand. Really, I think it's um, that's a that's a loaded question because to fix things would require, I guess, change in behavior. Now, my mother is, you know in her later adulthood and she's not about to change what she knows because I suppose the thing is, you know, you only know what you know. Mm. Um, What, and I can't control what the other person does, but I can control how I respond to it, respond and respond to it. So the work that I've done um, with therapy and that sort of thing has just taught me to be okay. So I need to learn things like boundaries I need to be able to understand what happens when she triggers me because she still triggers me. Mm. She, um, she'll like the dynamic in our relationship is still the same. So I, now I can even uh, almost jokingly say to her, actually, do you want to call me back and try that again? Wow. Okay. Because she'll call me, I'll answer my phone and she'll be like, Oh, you haven't done this, 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 and this. And I'm like, oh, hi, mom. How are you? How was your day? How was your day? Mm. How were the girls? Um, that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, so do you want to maybe try that again? And I, I do it in jest to try and lighten it, but I'm really just trying to tell her, can we interact in a different way? I don't think she's ever going to get it in that way. Yeah. Um, I just, she's not, she's not from that generation and it's, it's how she was raised and she's probably a little too old to, to yeah. be learning you know, new things. And, and, um, and, and it's important that you've also said that, you know, because of the context, the circumstance, the fact that she was borderline breaking up and then she found yeah. out she was pregnant. You, 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 you did say that there might've been some resentment. There were some resentful undertones in that. And then you guys yeah. have also kind of been apart for, for, for a number of years. So you've not really had that connection where asking how you are and hi, how was your day? You know, doesn't roll off the tongue naturally. And then you said yeah. it's different with your other siblings, but that's a story for another day. You know, but, but I, I get and I resonate with what you're saying in terms of the difficulty she may have in actually changing. Yeah. Because potentially it just wasn't there from day one. And also, you know, everyone has their own parent wound. So this is mine, right? She has her own. I don't know what her dynamic was like with my grandparents. Unfortunately, mm. this is not the sort of stuff that we talk about quite commonly. Yeah. I'd hope that it'd be different for the generations to come. Like I want, I'd hope, because I've got, I've got two kids now. So mm. I hope my kids will be able to, well, one, not be in therapy because of the same thing. Yeah. Um. But also be able to talk about the sort of relationship they had with me with their children. Ooh, Nala, this has been deep. <laughs> <laughs> I 
I wasn't intending for it to be this deep. It just sort of happened. Yeah, well, it's 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 the nature of just being human, you know. And yeah, and and that's why I feel this platform really does make a difference for people out there because a few of the episodes that have involved family this year have people responding in my DM with huge thank yous and an mm. appreciation just to say I didn't realize that I wasn't the only one going through the same thing. But through this, I've also picked up some ways that I can try and help myself. Because yeah. being African, therapy is still a relatively difficult thing to accept. Yeah. You know, one, because culturally it's seen as a first world problem solving technique that doesn't work for, for, for Africans. But mm. it really does. So people learning the benefit of what this has done to other people really, really, really goes a long way. So I know you say, you know, you didn't intend it for it to be deep. I'm glad it's been this deep because, <laughs> you, because you've also highlighted um, the fact that you've been through therapy and therapy has helped you with a lot of stuff. And then you've yeah. also now spoken about parent wounds, I mean, parent wounds, and you don't know what your mom's is, what, what, what the grandparents was, and you don't know, well, you might or might not know what yours could be with your kids. But one mm. thing that you're certain of is you want to have that relationship that they should be able to say, if you call them, the first thing you're going to be saying is, hi, whatever names you're going to give them, how, how are you? How's your day been? You're going to be in tune yeah. with that because you didn't have that yourself. Yeah. So, oh, thank you so much for sharing this with me, Nala. Um, did you have anything more to say or oh, I can wrap it up? Oh, listen, I could talk forever. You might just have to invite me in. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for sharing this really deep story. And just to round this up, I'll play back the lessons that came from this episode. First one is all behavior yeah. makes sense in context. And it makes a whole lot of sense now. Now that you've explained the circumstances around you coming into the world and the relationship dynamics between your folks. And then lesson number two, what you don't address, you won't overcome. Um, this couldn't have been more relatable with everything that you've had to deal with and you yeah. still continue to deal with and you're all too aware of. And then last but not least, two truths can be true at the same time. Yeah, all of this now really, yeah. really, really hits home. You've been listening to another episode of The Feeling Station. I'm your host, Tinto, and I will catch you in next weekend's episode. Come on, come on, my name is